St. Louis, 1904. No one knew death hidden the rafters of the Garrick Theater. To Julia, this seemed to be an ordinary performance night. After she brushed silver paint over three wooden swords and knotted a stitch to adhere a skull and crossbones to the last pirate's hat, she let out a seam for the sergeant, who had indulged his passion for ginger truffles and cherry creme tarts since their last show in Springfield. A case of nerves fluttered backstage like tiny moths. "'Where's my hat?' asked Michael, who played the part of Frederick. "'You're wearing it.' Julia touched his arm. Break a leg. He raised his hand up to feel his hat. Ought I tell you? No. No, I cannot. And yet, as one of your band, he said, rehearsing his lines. In the mirror, Julia caught Papa's eye. Mrs. Mitz, the makeup artist, a middle-aged woman with tiny mouse-like features, leaned over him, dabbing makeup on his face and aging him by at least ten years. No need for spirit gum and false facial hair. He wore his own mustache. All set for tonight, Papa? I could play it blindfolded. Mrs. Mitz added another wrinkle to his face. Well, George, once you do, we're having a party for you, don't forget. In two days, the theater troupe would depart for Cape Girardeau. But tonight, a celebration was planned for Papa and Julia, since they were staying on in St. Louis, where he'd recently bought a house and planned to build a more stable life. The troop welcomed any excuse for a party. We wouldn't miss it, said Papa. You couldn't keep him away, Mrs. Mitz. You know Papa. Julia kissed the top of his head. I'll be in the front row cheering for you, Papa. As she left the dressing room and walked down the narrow hallway, she considered her part as understudy for the role of Mabel. Since Cynthia Crowell possessed the constitution of a barnyard mule, and managed to thrive through every performance. Julia would watch tonight's show from the audience for this, her final night in the theater. She'd always been comfortable with acting, but, in all truth, the stage was more Papa's dream than her own, and she found living on the road grueling at times. She wasn't sure what this new life in St. Louis might bring, but she was sure Papa would find a way to make it fun. Strolling into the theater lobby through clouds of thick cigar smoke and clashing perfumes that emanated from the milling crowd, she could smell fresh paint, varnish, the plaster of frescoes in the newly built theater. So many voices speaking at once became their own harmony to the discordant tuning up of the pit orchestra. Several men scanned the length of her figure when they thought their wives would not notice. Some of the ladies scowled since Julia, though only eighteen, appeared to be a woman alone. Her upswept blonde hair was pinned with a spray of yellow crocuses, and she had large, friendly eyes that sparked green fire when she smiled. Her simple, form-fitted white dress had sleeves puffy between the elbow and shoulder, with a skirt floor-length and flowing. Jewels graced the ladies of the audience, who wore high-necked lace gowns and little makeup. Women in the theater company tended toward rouge, darkened eyes, lower-cut dresses. Many of them also transitioned between burlesque houses and vaudeville, and some took on customers at night after the theaters closed. Julia regularly received propositions from men who mistook her for such a woman, and Papa exerted considerable effort fending them off. Ladies they'd met on the road rebuked Papa 
for allowing her to be raised among theater people. Said she was growing up wild, but Julia was content not to live under the boot of restrictions imposed upon most women of the times. She found a seat in the front row of the dim, sconce-lit auditorium and watched people pour into the box seats and balconies. William Piquette's traveling theater troupe was accustomed to working where they could, often in large tents, and this was far grander than their usual makeshift stage. At last, the thick red velvet curtains embroidered in gold trim pulled open, 